Would you open your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we begin reading with verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning to read with verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he arose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also who are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. As they walked away from the hill of Calvary that afternoon, the hopes and dreams and the faith of that little group of followers of the Galilean prophet shattered. All was over. They had loved him. That man who before their very eyes had been stricken down by cruel men, crucified as a tyrant and a criminal, the Galilean prophet was dead. They had seen it. The trial with Jesus in Pilate's hall a mob of Jews leading their Messiah to a Gentile judge that he might confirm the death sentence already pronounced. They had heard the hysterical shouts of the fickle crowd, crucify Jesus and deliver Barabbas. They saw him led out of the streets of Jerusalem, so weak he could not carry his own cross. And they led him to the hill of a skull just a little bit beyond the Damascus or the North Gate. A skull-shaped hill where they had stoned the prophets at the foot of that hill, where Jeremiah had repaired to weep and pray and preach to Jerusalem. They heard the thunder. They heard and felt the earthquake, the darkness. And when all this happened, Jesus was dead. They couldn't quite understand it. They saw his body lovingly and tenderly taken down from the cross by Joseph of Arimathea, perhaps a member of the Sanhedrin who was not present the night Jesus was tried. 
he had compelled Nicodemus, who at first had come to Jesus by night. And together, Joseph and, Aaron, and Nicodemus and perhaps some of the women had tenderly taken the body of Jesus, pulled those awful nails out of his hands, and gently lowered his body and carried it away to the tomb of Joseph. They had seen the stone rolled upon the tomb. They saw the Roman guard placed at the entrance of the grave. All was over. There was a deep grief in their heart. Those who stood by to the end were deeply moved. They would never get over it. And then in the end of the Sabbath, that's on Saturday night, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, that perhaps is three or four o'clock in the morning, on Sunday morning, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. How like these women, their hearts still grieved and cut to the quick. They came early the next morning to see the grave. Many times we have shared the grief felt by these two. And after we have placed our loved one out of the cemetery, when the crowds had all gone home, perhaps we would go back to just stand by that grave for a few moments. We can identify with the hurt and the sorrow that was in the heart of Mary Magdalene and the others. But when Mary got there, something strange had happened. As Bob sang a little while ago, and as we've already heard in music and song about the awful tyranny of the cross two or three days before that, now, when Mary comes to that grave, the stone has already been rolled away. It's two or three o'clock in the morning. She's by herself, and there's something eerie about it all. And she looks inside the grave, and it's empty. And in terror, just in terror, just scared out of her wits, she ran into the city to where Peter was. And she said, Peter, you'll never believe it. Peter, Peter and John, come. And Peter and John ran out to the tomb, and it was empty. And while John and Peter were in there examining, and the Bible tells us that John saw and believed the first this side of Calvary to believe in the resurrection of Christ, Mary was standing outside weeping, tender heart. And she saw somebody. She thought it was the gardener. And she turned to him and said, Sir, if you've taken away his body, just tell me where you put it and I'll go and take care of it. I don't know how she thought she'd take care of the body of Jesus, just a lady, but all the emotion and love that was in her heart. And then... And then he said, Mary. And in that word, as the Son of God, now raised from the dead, spoke directly to Mary's heart, she immediately recognized that it was the Lord. And she started to hug his feet. He said, wait a minute, Mary. I have not yet ascended. Go tell my brethren. Implying that there was an ascent 
into the very presence of God to place the blood on the altar, the blood that once and for all would cleanse from every sin of every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl who would come to God by Christ. And Jesus was alive. He's not dead. We do not serve a dead Jew buried in a grave in Palestine. We serve a living Christ. There are many of us in this room who have been to that grave, and we will testify that it is empty. And the archaeologists say that that grave shows no evidence of any corruption. There was not time for Jesus' body to go back to corruption, because while he was out of the body, he was very, very busy those three days, and we discussed that in Sunday school. And then he was, his body was reunited with the, the, the Spirit of Jesus, and he was raised from the grave, and the body was changed and fashioned into a glorified body, a prophecy of something that is going to happen to every believer in the days ahead. There's coming a day when everyone who is in this room and within the sound of my voice who has believed in Christ, who has placed your trust and faith in Christ, then take your body out to the grave if the Lord doesn't come first and we go in the rapture. And the real you will be with the Lord. And the body will go back to corruption, but there's coming a day when Christ comes the second time, when the Spirit will be reunited with the body, and the body will be raised a glorified body like the body of Jesus. He's alive. Now some years later, Paul, who had met Jesus on the Damascus road, a bright light shined down and blinded him, and a voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, Who are you, sir? The voice said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And Saul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Do you notice what happened? Mary, thinking Jesus was the gardener, said, if you've borne his body away, please tell me where you put it and I'll go get it. Didn't know who he was until he said, Mary. He called her by, his, by her name. He spoke directly to her heart. And she heard him. I want to ask you, have you heard Jesus speak to you? Have you heard God's voice in your heart? There's coming a day when all that sleep in the grave who hear the voice of the Son of God will be raised. Saul, on the way to Damascus to do mischief to the Christians there, heard his name. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He looked up and he said, who are you? I am Jesus. And instantly... Saul didn't argue with God. He said, what wilt thou have me to do? And ladies and gentlemen, when you hear the voice of Jesus speaking to your heart, when you hear the voice of God right in this service today, you hear the Lord speak to you. And deep inside of you, you sense that God has said something to you. Respond and say, Lord, here am I. What wilt thou have me to do? Here I give my life to thee. Now Paul, writing some years after the resurrection, wrote the glorious 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the, rev, the, the resurrection chapter. And in it, he gives a discourse in eight verses about this theme, if Christ be not risen. 
He begins it by saying, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, if we're going to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead himself, how would anyone dare say, when our loved ones die, that they're not going to be raised? If you believe that Christ was raised, why would you disbelieve that you will be raised? In verse 12, there's a vital confrontation. If Christ be preached, how do some of you say there is no resurrection? The line of argument is, if your faith is in Christ, then just as he was raised from the dead, you too will be raised and changed like Christ was. Look in verse 13. There is a vulnerable contemplation. If there is no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. My beloved friend, if you can lay your loved ones who believe in Christ away in death and you do not believe there is a resurrection from the dead and you walk away hopeless, then you're saying in effect, I negate the truth of the resurrection of Christ. My loved one believed in Jesus, but he's not going to be raised, so I guess Christ didn't rise from the dead. Do you see his line of reasoning? The two are inseparably connected. If Christ was raised then all of those who believe in Christ will also be raised in the likeness of Christ. Thirdly, look in verse 14. There is a vain consecration. He says, if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. If there is no resurrection, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then it's just really silly for us to get together on Sunday and preach the Bible. Now, if Christ is raised from the dead, then there is a reason. And for these 2,000 years, over and over and over again, God called men, have assembled believers together and preached the resurrection of Christ. But if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. And listen, your faith is vain. All is fruitless. All is vain. And we're just playing a little game with ourselves when we come to church and when the choir sings and when the quartet sings and when men get up and sing like Jim and Bob and, and, the, and the other Bob today and, and, and Miss Janice and they sing about the resurrection. All of that is vain if Christ did not really rise from the dead. But I say to you, Christ is risen. Look at verse 15. There is a valueless counterfeit we are false witnesses. If the dead rise not, yea, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that dead rise not. In other words, we're all liars. We're all deceived. We're all madmen. And did you know that that's exactly what the atheists believe? That's exactly what the communists teach. That religion is the opiate of the people. It's just a little cough syrup you take. It's a little Valium you take. It's a little some kind of a medication to uh, help you and soothe your heart and so on. And Paul says, if Christ be not raised, then maybe they're right. But Christ is raised from the dead. And the miracle of all miracles is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead never to die again. Verses 16 and 17, fifthly, 
There's a vicious consternation. If Christ rise not, if the dead rise not, then Christ is not raised. Your faith is in vain. You're still in your sins. Now listen to this. Ladies and gentlemen, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then every one of you in this room is guilty before God. You're guilty of sin. And that sin is going to choke out your spiritual power in life and will ultimately take you down into an eternal separation from God. Or you'll be like the atheist said, I'll be like a horse or like a kangaroo or a dog when I die, just throw me in a hole, that's the end. But did you know that there's something inside of us that says there's more? Amen. There's more. And the Bible collaborates that by saying Christ has been raised from the dead and those who put their trust in him have trusted a living Savior. Verse 18. Then they also who are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Vigilance contradicted. Those who are dead have died hopelessly. And all that we say about a resurrection is in vain. And you turn to John 14, where Jesus said, I have gone to prepare a place for you, and I'll come again and receive it to myself. Tear that page out. Come to 1 Corinthians 15, tear that out. You come to Matthew 28, tear it out. Mark 16, tear it out. Luke 24, tear it out. John chapter 20, tear it out. And mutilate the Bible. And all of us go home hopeless. And as you go by the graveyard today, look in there and say, well, that's the end. And all those people that I put away dead, I'll never see them again. If Christ be not risen. Look at verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. A virtuous condemnation. If we only have hope here. Now I've heard people say, if there were no heaven and there were no hell, it would still be worth living for Jesus here. And I believe that. Because he lives, he gives us a good life. He gives us a pure life. He gives us a holy life. A life that we can go to sleep and with, don't have to have a guilty conscience about and so on. But I want to tell you, that's only half true. Because if there is no resurrection, the Bible says then we're most miserable. If, we, if the only kind of hope we have in Christ is right here and now, then we're very miserable. Do you know why? Because some people have called what we're going through right now a hell. You ever heard somebody say, well, I don't believe there's a real hell, but this is hell on earth. You ever heard somebody think that or say that? And there's a sense in which that's true. All the misery, all the greed, all the heartache, all the sin, all the misunderstandings, all of the failures, all of the moral failures, the spiritual failures, the flunkouts, the dropouts. That's all we have in Christ. Paul said, if that's it, you're of all men most miserable. But we got something more. We've got something much more. Christ is risen. Look at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Jesus is alive. He is living today. He is living in the hearts of those who have received him. He is living in the minds and lives of 
thousands of people and millions of people across this world today. And you know, he wants to live in your life. He wants to live inside of you. Now there has to be a, a holy humility come into your life in which you say, Lord, I need something I don't have. I need God. And I want to invite Christ to come and live his life through me and in me. I know that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that what he did there in shedding his blood was enough to cleanse me because Jesus was God incarnate in human flesh. And I put my trust in the blood of Jesus to cleanse me from sin. But that's not all. I believe that three days later he was raised from the grave and he's a living Savior and he lives right now. And I want to invite that living Savior to come and live his life in me. Now that's what it means to become a Christian. It means to repent of sin, to turn away from yourself, and to say, in my hand no price I bring. I'm not good enough. It is not a matter of joining the church or getting myself baptized or turning over a new leaf. I repent of sin and of me, and I deny myself, and I turn to Christ. And if I ever get to heaven, it will be all praise to Him. If I ever walk down those glory streets of glory in heaven, I'll join that choir in singing hallelujah, hallelujah, glory, because of what Christ did for me. Now, has there come a time in your life when you've done that? When you've invited Jesus to come into your heart and life? If you have, thank Him this morning. If you have not, why not do it now? May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just before the Lord for a moment or two, would you say, Dear Lord Jesus, I here and now want to repent of my sins, and I invite Christ to come in and be my Savior and my Lord. Would you do that? If you've already trusted Him as your Savior, would you right now just say, Lord, give me the strength to go and publicly confess Jesus as my Savior. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Will you stand, please? Number 252. Number 252. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. 252. Now let me ask you please to give close attention after you've found that song. I have a word to say. There are some of you in this room who have already asked Jesus to come into your heart. You've repented of sin. You've believed upon him as your Savior. Maybe at home, maybe in a car, maybe listening to a radio or a television broadcast, somewhere along the line. But you have not confessed him openly. The Bible tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I want to give you the opportunity right now, while we begin to sing, to just step out. I want to meet you right down here at the front as you come and say, I have received Christ as my Savior. And then I want to tell the church, some of you have been saved and you need to be baptized, and you're ready to be baptized today. I'd like to ask you to come and just stand here a moment before the baptism. While, and there are others that need to move your church letter to this church. Some others need to recommit your life to Christ. While we begin to sing, who will come first for the King? Will you come right now?